This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Thanks for joining us today for TED Speaks with your host, Ted Carew, the Positive Safety Coach. As co-host and Ted's wife, I have the added task of keeping Ted in line and laughing at his jokes, which isn't always easy. My name is Barb Carew. We are coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Brewers, Miller Beer, and the Fonz. How could it get any better than that? Our podcast focuses on sharing ideas with business owners and safety professionals to keep employees safe and families together. Our passion for keeping people safe is the reason Total Health and Safety Solutions was created. This is how Ted is able to share his 25 years of safety experience by supporting companies around the globe in their efforts to strengthen their health and safety process. Please join us in welcoming Dr. Matthew Hallowell. Dr. Matthew Hallowell is a President's Teaching Scholar and Endowed Professor of Construction Engineering at the University of Colorado at Boulder. He is also the Executive Director of the Construction Safety Research Alliance. He earned a BS and MS in Civil Engineering and a PhD with a focus on Construction Engineering and Occupational Safety and Health. Before his academic career, he worked in construction as a laborer, project engineer, and quality inspector. Hey, Matt, thank you for uh, joining us here on TED Speaks Live. We're very excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to connect with you. Yeah, it is. Well, it's been a while since we connected. We were on that Leading Indicators 284 team together. And wow, that was really quite an experience for me uh, over two years of being able to do different research and implement and stuff like that. So I'm excited about talking to you. Kind of based on some of that, though, what is new in the world of researching and safety right now? You know, I'm glad you asked. That first project you were talking about, Ted, uh, the one on leading indicators, was actually one of the first major projects that I worked on as well. It's since that time, I think it's been, I was trying to do a little accounting before we chatted today, I think it's been about eight years since we're kicking off that project. Yeah. And recently, we've created a new group called the Construction Safety Research Alliance. And the cool thing about it is it's industry and academia working together to do research, blending the, the strengths of both. And kind of following a similar model to what you and I worked on the, several years ago. Yeah, and you just had an article recently published about that too. Yeah, we are kind of our inaugural project was looking at recordable injury rates. And your listeners will not be surprised. I think it's been a long time we've known that PRIR or recordable injury rates is not the best measure of safety. But Correct. what we did is we put pencil to paper and we actually did the math and 
showed how statistically unreliable and unimportant <laughs> TRIR is in the, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. And it's got a lot of attention. I think it confirmed what a lot of people had thought for years with some pretty hardcore math. Well, it's such reactive, right? I mean, that's stuff that's happened in the past and stuff like that. And when you're moving forward, that's not going to really do you too much good if you focus on that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It is very backward looking. There's a lot of issues with case management and frankly, many reasons that recordable injury rates, not the best measure of safety. What we were showing too is that even if it was the perfect metric, it's got so much random variability to it. It really does. In terms of when an injury occurs, that we really, in short time periods, we don't know if when it goes up or down, if that actually means something or if it's just noise in the data. Are they able to manage it better, right? Versus an injury. So if you go by that, some companies are very good at managing their injuries and other companies aren't so good. A lot of the clients that we work with and stuff like that, some of the smaller companies, so they over-report. Then you go to the larger companies and they really do a better job of managing, I guess is probably the best way to say it. Yeah, that's a great point. Even for those smaller companies too, if they have one incident over a short period of time, their TRIR just goes up wildly high. And then if they don't have an injury for that equivalent time period later, it goes all down to zero. And right. they just see these wild fluctuations and with pre-qualifications and other things that really affect their business. The TRIR can be a pretty serious enemy, especially for the small folks. Yep. And really in construction. That's right. Matt, it sounds like you have your hands in a few different projects. You're always keeping busy. Can you share with our listeners some things that you're working on right now? Yeah, I'd be thrilled to. The Research Alliance, when we started out a few years ago, we had about seven members, seven really key organizations that collaborated with us. And now, a year and a half, two years later, we now have 49 different companies collaborating, which is awesome. It allowed me to build our team and kick off some new projects. So we've got a number of them. The ones that come to mind, building on some of the leading indicators work, Ted, we've got a project that's looking at We always think of leading indicators as the frequency with which we do safety activities and essentially how much we're doing in terms of injury prevention. And this new project is looking at how do we measure how well we're doing those activities? Yeah. So looking at both quantity and quality. And so we created some quality standards, some ways to measure quality of pre-job brief, leadership engagements, and safety observations. Those are the ones we tackled. And and it now allows us to measure not only what we're doing, but, but how well we're doing it which is pretty exciting. So that's an example of a project that we just recently completed. We've got a building on our recordable injury rate project, the kind of statistical invalidity of TRIR. We're trying to not just be an organization that points out what the problems are, but also come up with some solutions. So we're actively working on an alternative to TRIR project where we're considering some things like leading indicators and others that we've known for a while, but also some stuff that's way outside the box. So that's ongoing. And just a couple of examples of some of the work that we're actively engaged in. Yeah. And Matt, can you share with our listeners, can you talk a little bit about safety function? Yeah, sure. My life is sort of split in two these days. I run the Research Alliance that I've talked about a few times as the executive director of that group. But I also split my time and do some work independently more as I would say in a consulting fashion. That's a little bit different than the typical consultant in that What I do is I really just help organizations translate research to practice. So as we learn new things and companies need workshops or they need to align their management systems, etc., I come in and sort of serve as a technical advisor or a trainer of sorts and help people put the research that we've done over the last decade to use. 
And I enjoy that because instead of just writing a, you know, a journal paper that only other <laughs> academics read, I get a chance to actually work with groups and be a short-term member of the team. So yeah, that's the other half of my job. Making sure that the rubber hits the road, right? I mean, that's kind of what you're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we can write a paper and hope that it makes an impact. But I find that interacting with folks, telling them about the research, doing some workshops and activities, that sort of thing really helps move the needle. That's the stuff that we really need to be doing more of as academics, I think. I would agree. I mean, you just look at that. A lot of times we have all these policies and procedures that are on the shelves or wherever that different companies can keep them. But how often do the people actually know what they are? That's something that's so important and making sure we're communicating and making sure that it goes all the way from the top all the way through. And that sounds really easy from where we're at right now, right? But it's not as easy. No, I agree. I was just going to use an example of that, Ted. And since we've been connecting on that leading indicators topic, I found when we finished that research, there's a lot of excitement. It's pretty early in the times of operationalizing leading indicators. But the thing I think that was kind of the missing piece for a while was just what you were saying, communicating it from top to bottom in the organization and and having a cohesive structure and having a common understanding about, well, what are the leading indicators? Why are they important? What are the few that matter the most to the company and aligning goals and strategies and whatnot to them? I think over the last eight years, those have been some of the most important advancements that I've seen is taking the good work that we did a while back and really putting it to practice. And it takes a while to uh, translate things and adjust systems accordingly. Oh, yeah. It's just a process, right? Of making sure that we're taking that information, making sure management just doesn't keep it and say, oh, this is great, great report and goes on the shelf, right? Taking it down to that next manager level, then taking it down and going throughout the organization. And that's really where it starts. Yeah, I think that topic comes up a lot, doesn't it, Ted, when we have guests on? Communication is such a key part in anything, but really safety. The knowledge doesn't mean much if it's not shared in the appropriate way. So if someone knows a lot but doesn't know how to share it, it doesn't do much good filtering down. So And they have to be empowered also, right? I mean, that's part of the process, too, is that the people are doing this. They have to be empowered to be able to do it. Definitely. Matt, you're a professor of construction engineering at the University of Colorado at Boulder, correct? That's right. I just had a question regarding that kind of side of you. You wear many hats, it sounds like. He does. Do you feel that teaching young adults as they're entering the workforce gives you kind of an early opportunity to show them the importance of such things as safety and making it a priority, even kind of before they're exposed to it? Yeah, I'm in a unique position. So for your listeners, what you're referencing is my core job at the university as a professor. The research part of what I do is the Construction Safety Research Alliance that I mentioned. And the other half of, of academic life is teaching. And I'm in the College of Engineering. So all of my students are engineers. And that's a little bit different, I think. The cool thing for me is that I'm getting in front of 20-year-old students who are learning about the field of engineering, who are going to be designing the same systems that our worker force must build, right? Mm-hmm. And I get the opportunity to teach them about safety as an integrated component of design. So instead of a bolt-on at the end, I've designed this structure, I've designed this infrastructure, and now I need to think about safety. I can get them from the very beginning to start thinking about how somebody has to build that, whether it's inherently safe or not, how to take concepts from psychology and behavioral science and understand how do we design things so that it's truly safe to build and kind of error-proof in a way. So the work I've learned about over the years in prevention through design We oftentimes think about that at the end, right? How do we consider and reviews whether or not it's safe? 
I get a chance with my students to build it way into the very beginning of their thought process. They're thinking about end user safety. They can also think about the people who have to install this thing, maintain it, and then eventually decommission it. So I get a kind of a different chance to insert safety into the design process. But unfortunately, that's not a common feature in construction engineering or civil engineering education. And I'd love to see it syndicated to more programs. Yeah, that's very interesting. I just, like I said, you wear so many different hats. It's amazing how many different things you do and keep it all straight. So very, very good. Thanks for sharing that bit about the role at the University of Colorado. So Matt, do you have any upcoming projects that you are excited about maybe in the fall starting off with? Yeah, so we're about to kick off our next research cycle. And we have one project that's midway through that we'll be reporting on in the next cycle. It's looking at Predictive analytics, which I know a lot of people shudder at when they first hear that term. Because <laughs> yeah. Anytime you hear analytics now, it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. And because I think there's so much snake oil out there and people claiming to be predictive and so on. But we've been working together as a group. I think one of the major problems we've seen over the years is that people try to predict when and where the next injury is going to be. And it's a bit of a fool's errand because there's so much going on. There's so much random variability and noise in the data. that You, you can't make that prediction. But what we are trying to do is instead take a completely different tack in predictive analytics and say, instead of predicting when and where an injury is going to be, predicting what conditions we're likely to observe. So we've got a project where we're looking at safety observations as our outcome variable, if you will. In other words, if we were to visit a site together right now, are we going to go out and see that site as all of the hazards or the energy sources are well controlled? Mm -hmm. Or are we missing some controls? And using that as the dependent variable, the thing we're trying to predict instead of that injury, which is super rare. And so that one's going to be wrapping up. And then one that we're kicking off that I'm incredibly excited about and frankly a little bit nervous about is one we're calling it Safety ROI. And what we're going to be doing is collaborating with the business school and trying for, I think, the first time to really, truly quantify the return on investment that we get from some of our safety investments to help us to figure out how to go through a structured procedure to identify what's the next investment that I should make as an organization. And when I do, how do I assess whether or not I'm receiving the return on investment, both monetary and non-monetary, from that that investment? And I think that's going to help us to build safety in as more of an integrated business function so that we're speaking corporate speak and not a satellite or a budget type function that we really are adding value. And I think being able to communicate that in ways that are more tangible to business leaders will help us to make some pretty rapid progress. So those are the two kind of big landmark projects that I'm really excited. One releasing and one just starting. And I'm nervous about the ROI project simply because it's kind of a moonshot. If it was easy, it would already be done, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we're going to tackle it. (laughs) Well, they got the right man heading it. I'll tell you that, Matt. And I have full confidence that you are. But That's really exciting because really when we're selling our safety within organizations, to organizations and all over, right? A lot of the management looks at it. What is going to be our return on investment, right? And so I think that this study that you're putting together is really going to be able to help safety professionals take it to their management and say, hey, this is why in much more clear ways than perhaps some of the older ways that we use right now. Yeah. And I think the exciting part about it is we're actually going to bring in the people in economics and finance who know how to do the modeling the right way. 
uh, instead of being safety folks like myself who are going to pretend <laughs> to do it. What are you saying about us, Matthew? <laughs> uh, well, I'm saying that you know, truly sometimes, and to be honest, no. I think sometimes we step outside of our competency into like psychology or yep. business and finance. Very true. And I think instead of trying to be everything to everybody as safety professionals, you know, this is a good opportunity for us to collaborate and leverage the domain expertise of a different group. And so recognizing, hey, we don't know how to do everything, but we can find in academia, we can find people who do. I mean, that's one of the great strengths of being at the university is there's a lot that I don't know, but I can find somebody who knows a lot about it to work with me. That's very interesting because I just read a book called The Who, Not The How. And I really find that very interesting on looking at, and as safety professionals, we really need to focus on our niche, what we're good at, and then let others do what they need to do so we can be successful rather than trying to learn all these different things that you just brought up, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. I'll use an example from my own experience in own field is oftentimes people will look at something like a safety technology and they want to build, say, a virtual reality training or something fancy, and they try to become a computer scientist to do it. Instead of find a great computer scientist who already knows how, you right. leverage your safety experience and collaborate with them and their technology experience. Now you have something that's much better. And we don't end up with a kind of thing that goes on the shelf or is a toy that nobody ends up using. So, I mean, I think it's so true across all of our fields. Find good people to work with. That's the most enjoyable thing to do. That's right. Well, we found one of the best, Elsie. So he helps us with this podcast. Without him, we wouldn't have this on. So Because we are not technically savvy, that's <laughs> <No>. for sure. <laughs> you already know that from our years together. So <laughs> We know our limitations, that's for sure. Matt, can you let us know, how can people stay informed? All of this new things that are in the works and everything, how can people stay informed and updated on everything that's going on? Yeah, that's a great question. I think sometimes it can be tough for folks to track what's going on in academia. Unfortunately, a lot of the work that we do is behind paywalls, either whether it's an academic journal or an institute that funds the research that wants you to pay for stuff. And so it can be hard to be a consumer of new safety research and safety science. And one of the things that when I was creating the Construction Safety Research Alliance, one of the things that was really important to me is that there was no paywall and that everything that we do is available to everybody. So that's a kind of a double-edged sword because it's hard to convince people to be members of an organization and contribute both financially and intellectually to something that they could then just be consumers of. But I think what we found is that we have so many passionate people had your great example, you know, who worked together to kind of advance a topic. But we really just wanted to make sure that those who couldn't afford to participate or they're in a business transition or what have you, that they get the access to the research as well, especially the small contractors, for example, who need it the most. And so my long way of saying that anybody who would like to stay informed about what the Research Alliance does can simply visit the website. If you search Construction Safety Research Alliance, there's a page there that's our knowledge center. And has everything we produce right there on it, ready for you to consume. So no paywall, nothing like that. Even our conferences and whatnot, the recordings of all of those are available to everybody to watch for free. And our goal is twofold, create new knowledge and share it. And we're doing a great job at the creation process and the sharing piece. We want people to go and visit and hopefully use some of the things we're putting together. I love that. Create new knowledge and share it. I love that. Yeah. And it's very useful. So I want to encourage our listeners to make sure that you check that out. It is definitely worth the time. The information that's in there is just, I'll tell you right along, Matt is probably one of the most professional people I've worked with and, and does a great job in his studies and looks at it, not just from the studying part, but also how can we implement it properly into the field? So definitely take that time and look at that. Yep. 
Yes, too kind, Ted. I will point out one example of what people can find there is we did a project looking at, like I said, the quality of some safety leading indicators, how well we're doing activities. One of the natural outcomes of the work was a field guide to what an excellent pre-job safety brief looks like, Yep. for example. And it truly is a field guide. It's something that's designed to fit in your pocket. And an electronic version of that's right on the website and anybody can download it for free anytime they want. So there are other versions of things like that, like leadership engagements and safety observations. And they're little flip guides and they're collective wisdom of 25 some odd safety leaders. And so if you're looking to show people what good looks like, it's a good field-oriented resource for that. Well, you know, and it also helps if you do some training and stuff like that. Now you have something physical that you can give to them, right? To your supervisor, to your leadership that you're trying to go with. So it's such a great tool. So thank you for providing that to our listeners. Sure. But as you know, Matt, now this is the fun time of the positive safety coach that I am. We're going to have a little fun with you and ask you a couple of jokes. The question is that I always got to ask you, are you ready? <laughs> am I ready? Ready for what? <laughs> for our jokes. <laughs> I'm ready for anything, Ted. Yeah, let's hear him. I love that joke. Most people aren't ready for our jokes, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, I have the first one here. If a man has six apples in one hand and eight bananas in the other, what does he have? So six apples in one hand and eight bananas in the other. What does he have? A handful? That's good. He has really big hands. <laughs> See, there's not much for humor. We keep it pretty simple. <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs> okay. Hey, while also doing it first time, I'm doing a re-joke, okay, oh. of that we have done. And so, because I think this joke is appropriate for you, Matt. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. What did the buffalo say when his son left? Oh, I know this one. You should know this one. I do. It's my son. The University of Colorado, you had to have that right, right? Oh, exactly. I didn't get I, the connection I, I, I there. I would have been embarrassed. <laughs> I would have been embarrassed had I not gotten that one. Yes, we are the Colorado buff. You represented Colorado very good right there. Great job, Matt. <laughs> awesome. That's a great joke, Ted. I had forgotten about that one. Well, we should probably end with that one, but we'll throw one more in. Here's the last one. Why do skeletons stay so calm? Why do skeletons stay so calm? Yes, why? I already know because I see the joke. <laughs> yeah, I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because nothing gets under their skin. Oh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you need a little drum like didn't in the background for that one. Yeah, we'll work on that maybe. Hey, thanks a lot, Matt, for being on the show. I really enjoyed being able to reconnect with you and Definitely stay in touch. How can some of our listeners that are very interested in some of the stuff that you said possibly get a hold of you? So probably the easiest way is by email. I'm easily searchable, which is a blessing and a curse for me. <laughs> I bet. So if you search Matthew Hollowell, University of Colorado, you'll find me there. And all of my contact information, phone number, email, et cetera, is there. So please send me a note if you got some feedback or want some information, be happy to connect with your listeners. Sounds good, Matt. And thank you for being on TED Speaks and have a super safe day. Thank you for listening to TED Speaks with Ted Carew, owner of Total Health and Safety Solutions, providing health and safety support to businesses by customizing a safety process to fit their needs, big or small. Please connect at ted.carew at healthandsafetynow.com or visit our website, healthandsafetynow.com to share your safety stories or find out more about how we can work together to ensure your people go home safely and turn an expense into a profit center. 
Follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Have a super safe week.